This is John Quinn, and this is Law Disruptive. And today we're going to be talking about generative AI, chat GPT, and all that, and its impact on the legal profession and on litigation in particular. And to discuss this, we have with us Alex Backer. Now, Alex is a serial entrepreneur. He's been named one of the top 100 technology alums of MIT. He holds a PhD from Caltech. He's been named IT Executive of the Year by the International Business Awards. And he's also the founder of a new business, which seeks to take advantage of generative AI in the legal profession called Lawbotics. AI, did I get that right, Alex? Yes. Thank you so much for having me, John. And we also have with us my partner, Ryan Landis, who's a partner in our Los Angeles office. Ryan has been tasked by our firm to look at how we can best use generative AI, starting with ChatGPT in particular, in order to enhance our service to our clients, to be more efficient, get better results, and generally stay on top of this fast developing area of technology and its impact on the practice of litigation. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thank you, John. So, I mean, let's start out. Is ChatGPT and generative AI going to revolutionize what litigators do? I'm going to begin with you, Alex. Um, what do you see? Uh, you've been studying this now. I know you have some experience as a litigator and in being involved in litigation yourself, but you've kind of jumped into this and in the application of this technology to uh, the litigation process. What do you see as some of the obvious applications? Your first question, I think, yes, it will totally revolutionize uh, the practice of law and litigation. And I think the applications are, I mean, you find a new application every time you talk to another attorney. It's going to help in, in drafting of pleadings, uh, in review of pleadings and documents, in summarization, in uh, discovery and going through uh, you know, numerous documents to find the relevant ones. I think it anywhere where language plays a role, uh, which is pretty much almost everything in law, you know, it, it will not replace lawyers, uh, but it will definitely help them uh, make faster progress, particularly when dealing with large collections of documents. Yeah, so lawyers, we think we really are sort of word merchants. We work with words. And these large language models have incredible power to pull words together from, for practical purposes, an infinite number of sources. So I think it's kind of obvious how it can how can help draft pleadings and things. If you have access to a database of pleadings on all different subjects, I mean, this is a very powerful tool to pull in together that wouldn't be something that's ready for filing with the court, but certainly a very good first draft to work with, essentially. Absolutely. How would ChatGPT, what, what applications do you see for it in discovery? So I don't think ChatGPT itself will have applications in discovery um, because ChatGPT is, you know, has so prompt length limitations and, you know, it can't really go through a large collections of documents. But I think that kind of technology can have vast implications in terms of being able to interrogate large, you know, sort of documents that came from discovery uh, or, or that are being considered for discovery and being able to ask it questions in natural language rather than having to go through the laborious task of coming up with search terms and trying those and see how many hits. You can literally ask the question you know, that you're looking for and see if there's any answer for it in the documents. So what we do now, and I'm going to uh, turn to you now, Ryan, what we do now, and we have done for, oh, I don't know, 20 years, 
you know, we negotiate with the other side search terms. They agree to run these search terms across their databases or the data associated with particular witnesses called custodians. And after you negotiate that, it may or may not involve some Boolean logic, then documents are produced. How, Ryan, how do you see this being different in the era of, and how will we identify documents that'll be produced and what use we make of them? Yeah, I, I think um, that's one of the applications for generative AI that seems closest on the horizon because it most closely relates to analyzing large sets of, of documents. There are already some tools um, that litigators have been using for some time now called technology-assisted review, where litigators or, or attorneys will train uh, the system on responsiveness and what documents are likely to be relevant, and then the, the system can spit out which documents are more or less likely to be responsive based on the, the AI systems that they have. Um, I, I think with generative AI systems, like a chappy GPT type model, that really is amplified the scope of ability of what you have, and you might be able to get that system involved even earlier in the review process and help you to craft search terms, help you to determine custodians, potentially review an even larger set of documents. I mean, as, as technology has advanced, what litigators have seen is that the, the bounds of discovery have, have grown. Um, and there's, as you have more tools helping you to review documents, it means there's a larger universe that you're expected to go through, to review, to evaluate, and potentially to produce. And I, I think that we could see that here also. Well, tell us in practical terms, Ryan, how, how document discovery would be different uh, if you're using generative AI. I mean, how's it gonna be different than what we do now where basically we negotiate search terms and then we produce documents that where there are hits. How would this be different? I think there still might be something akin to search terms where the parties negotiate what search terms are, are run on a set of documents, but you could have generative AI help you to hone the search terms, help you to improve uh, Boolean searches, or the parties might just negotiate prompts to an agreed upon large language model generative AI system. So instead of negotiating a simple search term, you're negotiating a prompt, like we want to search for, or we want to ask our agreed upon uh, generative AI system to return all documents within a company's email and document storage database that are related to a contract at issue. And then you let the agreed upon LLM system, large language model system, do whatever it does in the background and return whatever documents it returns. That's still similar to some of the protocols that we might employ with technology-assisted review today, but it, it takes it to another step. I think Ryan is right on, and, and that's a game changer because it will return much more comprehensive, accurate results while requiring much less labor from attorneys on both sides. So what will the results look like? Will there be a list of documents? Will it be a narrative answer? How is it different than what we do now? My expectation is, at least in the near term, it would still be we, we would still be talking about returning a list of documents, at least in terms of exchanging documents with the other side, uh, because ultimately everyone wants to know what did someone say, what did someone do, what version of a document did someone send, and then I would expect that um, counsel on both sides of the dispute would then use the generative AI system farther to help digest those documents and create summaries, create outputs like memos 
um, that they could use to better and more quickly digest a large universe of documents that get identified and produced. I mean, I can imagine a situation where the parties agree to share databases. They decide what custodians' documents are going to be pulled, or in some fashion, they exchange databases. And then you just ask the chat GBT equivalent or whatever you're using, what's the answer? You know, for example, if there's a dispute over the capacity of a plant that's been built, uh, and there's a question about whether the capacity existed or whether the capacity was exceeded, you could just query that into the database and it would give you a narrative answer. I mean, is that realistic, Alex? Yes, I believe so, absolutely. I mean, I'm seeing that today in, in, in Lobotics AI. Uh, I'm getting narrative answers that return correct answers from, from the data set. I mean, I don't know what we do with that. I assume that that answer <laughs> itself doesn't come into evidence and the jury doesn't see that, but that's certainly an interesting, very powerful tool. I was going to say, I, I think that ties right back to what Ryan was saying. I, I think that goes combined hand in hand with references or citations to the relevant documents where you then pull out the relevant pieces of relevant documents and that becomes the evidence. So the narrative answer may not constitute evidence itself, but it points, it, it points you to the right direction. And as long as you use a tool like robotics that gives you citations to relevant documents, then you use those for the evidence. Right. And I could see this being integrated with a database of uh, testimony, say uh, pretrial deposition testimony, you include that in the database and the answer you'll get will be based not just on documents, but also on the testimony with citations to everything in the record. Is, is that possible? Absolutely. How close are we to be able now, how close are we to that functionality? I've been using that functionality in Lobotics today to interrogate, you know, emails in a case I'm involved with and get answers, you know, get narrative answers as well as citations to the relevant documents to which to get it. I've been getting answers from the AI that are more accurate, you know, that the correct mistakes made by judges that were later corrected by Supreme Court judges. So, so I think we're, we're very close. Yeah. So Ryan, what do you, what applications are you most, I know you've been looking into this uh, for a couple of months, which is ages, it seems. I mean, maybe two months ago, we hadn't heard of ChatGPT. I mean, what are the potential applications that you're most excited about? Yeah, so I, I, I think there's really uh, three high-level fields here. Um, and you, you touched on the first one already, which I think is where these tools are probably most advanced and have the opportunity to have the biggest impact soon. And that's in the discovery process with factual inquiry, development and summary, where you can feed in large volumes of factual material, whether it's documents or testimony, um, or just something from the public domain, and have these documents help you in understanding what's there. I mean, we've, we've all had the experience of sitting in a deposition, especially in the, the remote age, and typing something into, into Google to try to get an answer uh, or to try to research something that the, the witness told you that you don't have full information about. ChatGPT type systems allow you to do that even more powerfully. Um, so I think that's category one, is being able to inquire against the factual record. Category two, of course, would be legal research and writing, um, where you might be able to ask a question and then get an answer based on the case law. Right now, the tools that most litigators use, you, you use some combination of Boolean searches, 
you try to find a case that's similar and you try to evaluate whether that case weighs on your current situation. Generative AI type tools could help you ask the question and return the best, best case law. And there are, are tools coming online that would do that. Not only that, but give you a narrative argument or response. It's exactly right. Um, it, could, it could help you write a section of a brief. Um, it could review a section of a brief that you've written and tell you whether you've, you've made a mistake. Now, of course, there's the question of, of accuracy with these tools, I think, which applies to all of the applications. But once you really reach an accepted level of, of accuracy and you ensure that you're doing your own review um, before anything gets filed or submitted, it, it's certainly a helpful tool. And then the third category is what I would just call um, routine drafting. So we as litigators do a lot of work writing discovery responses, writing things like complaints or answers, other things that are, are in a sense form documents and uh, generative AI can certainly assist with those tasks as well. I, I think we see a lot of applications there in transactional law, potentially even more so than in litigation. Well, so much of the writing that we do for briefs and the like to, into court is, is not, they're really not form documents. The cases are all unique. They involve often tricky legal issues. Do you see applications for that for you know, the cases that are not one-offs, but which are complex antitrust issues or securities law issues and the like, where we're actually going to be writing something that we haven't written anything exactly like that before. Yeah. And I, what I was speaking to before was something like a set of discovery responses where maybe the objections uh, could help you write objections and at least give you a first draft maybe of the substantive content. For something like a brief, I think there's enough artistry involved um, that, that we humans still have something to contribute here, even with a, a highly developed uh, large language model. But that's not to say that the system couldn't help you with enough input facts, write something like a factual summary or put together an argument that you could then work from as though it's a first draft. We've also seen these tools do things uh, like work as an editor. We, I think we all have experience working late into the night trying to get a, a document within page limits or within word limits. And uh, generative AI systems could help you uh, if you were to give it the prompt, say, you know, make this whole uh, brief 10% shorter without removing any substantive content. And that's the type of prompt that these systems might be able to help you with. Are you, do you mean that literally that's an example of a prompt? that the system could give you the output on that you're asking for? Uh, yes, yes. I mean, systems as they exist right now could could do something like that for you. I mean, there, there are some examples that, that people have fun with, you know, where you could say something like, Here, here's a, a brief or a, a paragraph from a brief. Please rewrite it in the style of a Dr. Seuss poem. Yeah. Um, and it will spit something back out to you and and how much it captures the content that you've written and how much it resembles Dr. Seuss's writing style is, is um, certainly something that, that has room for improvement, but it's at least a starting point that gets you, I think, over the first step faster than you would be able to otherwise. You know, John Mark Twain is famously credited with having um, written, uh, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I run out of time. Right. And you know, a lot of a lot of you know often the, the hardest thing is bringing it down. And and so I recently uh, used AI to reduce. I had a grant application, 
And the problem was every answer was too long for the, for the, the length allowed. So I had AI rewrite it all to fit the number of words uh, allotted and did a great job. Amazing. Yeah, a lawyer recently in our firm uh, sent me an exemplar. He, he, he asked uh, the chat GPT to uh, write a preliminary statement, a Sherman Act, you know, two case. It gave it a couple of other facts in the prompt. And it wrote a few paragraphs. There's a limitation on, on the output. It wrote a few paragraphs which were entirely plausible for a preliminary statement in a brief. I, I was totally amazed. I, I think where the tools are now in terms of generating something like a first draft, especially when it's given a, a training set with specifics, it's it's certainly serviceable. There's room for it to contribute. It's not to say that we would file something that ChatGPT outputs without any further review, uh, but it's a useful, it's definitely a useful resource. What are the shortcomings of ChatGPT as it exists now? I, I mean, there's just a new version, version four that was released. I assume that we're going to see a series of versions that come out. As it exists now, what do you see as some of the shortcomings? And and I'll start with you, Alex, and, and then Ryan, maybe you can respond. I'll say there's four fundamental uh, shortcomings. The first one is prompt length limitations. So you can't you, you can't feed it your whole collection of documents from from a case or or from a law firm or or, or anything else, um, and so you're you're limited in the input you give it. That's the first. The second one is that, and this is a really bad one, is sometimes it hallucinates. It creates entirely plausible, completely fictional answers, um, and that that are you know hard to distinguish from fact uh, by somebody who's not very familiar with the the subject area. The third one, uh, which compounds number two, is that it gives no citations or references. And so it is, you know, without, it, it takes a significant amount of research to find out whether something, an answer gives us fact or fiction. And I'd say the fourth one is what I would call a reversion to the mean. What, what ChatGPT and BAR do is they give the most likely answer, the most probable answer given everything is read uh, in the public domain. You know, if you're trying to generate an extraordinary answer, right? So Quinn Emanuel is in the business of creating not your average uh, pleading, uh, but an extraordinary one. You wouldn't have the track record you have winning cases if you were just giving the average response. Uh, and so ChatGPT is going to give you a response based on the average. And so that's, that's I think, the fourth uh, shortcoming. Can those shortcomings be overcome? Absolutely. Yeah, um, I mean that—that's—that's that's our entire raison d'être at uh, at Lobotics AI. You know, we've—we've—I um, I think we've solved um, definitely three out of four. Uh, so we, we we you can upload your own document collection. You can get citations or references to the right relevant sections of the most relevant documents. You can get answers from the extraordinary and not from um, sort of the reversion to the mean. Uh, and I have yet to see it hallucinate, although I expect that we will have more work ahead to do on, on that to, to get it to, to 100%. Well, tell us about your product, Lobotics AI. Tell us about the product. I was extremely impressed with uh, the generative AI. Um, I mean, ChatGPT in particular, it's, it's sort of amazing, uh, you know, how good it is simply by having ingested such massive amounts of data uh, and throwing away, sort of throwing out them the most uh, or giving the, out the most probable answer. But at the same time, it feels like it feels like the MySpace of the social network era, right? It's you know it's it's a, the beginning of a revolution, but it's only the beginning, and there's so much more ahead. Uh, you know, ChatGPT will still make 
some, well, first of all, the hallucinations I mentioned are, are a big shortcoming. And sometimes it will just make complete, you know, it's not, it's not truly intelligent. It looks truly, it's, re it's a really good actor. It's really good at seeming extremely intelligent. It's extremely knowledgeable, that's for sure. And so sometimes it'll make uh, some really stupid mistakes. And so Lovatics was founded on how do we take this incredible new technology and, and improve upon it uh, to solve those shortcomings? How do you give the platform the documents you're interested in so you have AI work for you uh, and not in general? How do you provide citations and references to the, the relevant uh, documents so that you're not, up, you know, you're not getting an answer that may or may not be grounded in facts? How do you reduce um, hallucinations and, and make it more factual? Uh, and then how do you really learn from the best of the best in terms, uh, in terms of providing answers rather than their version to me? And how have you done that? I mean, I, you, I gather you've made some progress. I mean, do you start with chat GPT or I mean, what, what is the building block for this? And what's the process without getting too technical? I mean, what, what's the process for improving this product? Getting where you want to be. The answer is it's complex and proprietary, but but essentially part of it is you have to combine technologies, right? So it's not just about uh, generative AI; it's also about search, and so it's it's about combining a series. In other words, I think the brain is an incredible probability uh, calculating engine, uh, and that is the part that ChatGPT uh, so has cracked. But the brain is not just that; it's more than that, and, and so you you have to add other other pieces to create true intelligence and, and that sort of the route road we embarked on. And is it is this product available to the marketplace now? If not, when do you expect it will be? We have a, a wait list now and we're adding uh, clients over the next uh, weeks and months. Ryan, you've been looking at different products that are emerging that use generative AI for litigators? Yes, and um, th there are a number of products, like you said, this is a, a nascent field, and I think a number of products are sort of in the ramp up process, but yes, we've been working with and evaluating more than a dozen products that are in various stages of development and touch on various areas of our practice to try to determine which, if any, might be uh, good value adds for the work that we do. Is this a situation where you think there's going to be one product which kind of conquers the litigation marketplace or are you going to be using, using different products for different functionalities or, or do you have a sense of that yet? I, I think it's the latter. Um, there are different tools that are focused in different areas. To go back to some of the applications we discussed before, some of the tools are more focused on the, the, the legal research and legal writing. I think most of the tools that we've been evaluating, in, including Lawbotics, are, are looking more at digesting the factual record and being able to answer questions that are asked against a factual record. Um, and then some number of tools are, are also focused on um, sort of document generation, although those don't seem as focused on the litigation space. Uh, but th there are a number of tools that sort of work in different areas and work different ways. And I could certainly imagine the possibility where, where one tool might be right for a particular type of case and a different tool might be appropriate for another. Alex, it seems like the pace of change here is going to be really fast. Look, nobody had heard of this functionality, at least in our world, in our field, three months ago. Certainly not as, as something that we might actually have an application in our work. Seems that the world has changed in that regard. It seems like six months from now, the landscape is going to seem totally different. I mean, what what 
What do you foresee in terms of the pace of change? Accelerating. Ray Kurzweil wrote a, a book uh, years ago called The Singularity is Near. Uh, and the fundamental, the, the first thing he showed is show that the pace of progress has been exponential in history. Um, and his projection from that pace was that the time would come when, when change was being done by machines uh, more than by humans, at which point you'd, you'd, write, you'd get into a singularity, a point where essentially the pace of growth gets, gets so fast and so steep that things sort of become unrecognizable very fast. And, um, and that essentially is supposed to coincide when, when, when like I said, ma machines start improving upon machines or, or, uh, you know, or software starts improving upon software. And I think we're, you know, we're definitely entering the, the area where, where that's, you know, that's in the horizon, right? Definitely people are using AI to write software faster. Uh, and so even though you know, most of it is not, the humans are still in the loop, uh, it's humans aided by technology. And we can see a, a time in the future, not, not too far ahead, where you can get the humans out of the loop in some of these things. And really at that point, you start seeing you know, even faster exponential advancement. I was on a, a panel uh, in Miami 10 days ago on discussing regulation of AI. <laughs> One of the questions I was asked is whether I'm uh, lawyers and are you going to be out of a job, John? This was essentially the question was asked. And my answer was, well, we're in the, we're in the profession of presenting our clients' cases to juries and lawyers and trying to persuade another human being to our client's point of view. And, and I said, I think we'll be the last ones that are replaced. Am I wrong about that? Or do you see, uh, I mean, we also hear about chat boxes, which will talk to you and people falling in love with their chat boxes and, you know, and developing relationships with their chat boxes. And maybe it's not inconceivable that you, you have this technology and, and that can also generate, sounds like a human voice, making the best possible argument. Any response to that? I mean, should I, is it too late to go to medical school or something? <laughs> <laughs> the next thing you're going to tell me that the doctors are going to be replaced too. They will. <laughs> well, so you, you, you will have, you know, you will be competing with an AI that uh, can make an uh, eloquent argument in the voice of Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's, that's one thing. To, you know, I think you're right. I think that, you know, it's technology as it is today is there to help lawyers and not replace them. But certainly, as, as one of your partners uh, said recently, you know, lawyers who use AI will be replacing lawyers who don't use AI. That's for sure. Yeah. And I think it'll, it'll continue to advance rapidly. How about the application of AI to kind of figure what a particular judge wants to hear? What resonates with that judge? What types of arguments a judge likes? What kind of style a judge likes? Ryan, is it possible that we're going to be able to fine tune presentations with a view in mind of the particular audience, the particular judge who's going to be the decision maker? Yes, absolutely. Those, those tools are, are, are here and people are already thinking about that type of work trained on briefs that are submitted to a judge and orders that, that come from the judge. Of, of course, you're limited based on what the training set is, right? How many briefs do we have that we can feed into the system? How many orders based on those briefs do we have and how detailed are they? But those tools are, are already here. They are usable. You can ask a chat GPT-like system to revise a brief so that it might be more persuasive to a particular judge. Now, of course, you're still faced with the same uh, restrictions and shortcomings that Alex described earlier, whether it's hallucination, 
or uh, limitations on prompt size or training set. But in terms of training to a particular judge, writing to a particular voice, those, those tools are here. Yeah, that's very much part of what we are doing at Lobotics AI uh, is to be able to create the ultimate winning machine that allows you to create, you know, sort of the, the perfect pleading. You should trade that. I love that. The ultimate mm -hmm. winning machine. That's a that's, good one. <laughs> thank you. That's, a, that's, that's in progress. <laughs> well, this is fascinating stuff. I'll just uh, thank both of you, Alex Backer and Ryan Landis for joining us. You've been listening to Law Disrupted with me, John Quinn. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, lawdisrupted.fm. If you enjoyed the show, please share a link on social media and follow at JBQ Law or at Quinn Emanuel. Thank you for tuning in. Well, wasn't that amazing? It was created and produced by podcast partners. They're really lovely people and rather good at all this podcasting guff. Find out more at podcastpartners.com.